This is the Bob McKellen Podcast, brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook app today. Dave Hodge in for Bob this week. And, and David, you and I are, uh, I think, two of a kind. We are still radioaholics. We love listening to radio. We love discussing broadcasting. Uh, so I, uh, we, I talked to the producers, and we decided to give you a treat today. One of the guys you still listen to on a regular basis is going to join the show, Mike Shope from Buffalo, uh, who does the afternoon drive show and does a great job with it. And I think you're one of those avid listeners, correct? No disrespect to uh, uh, sports radio stations anywhere else, uh, i.e. Toronto. Um, but my favorite uh, sports radio station, favorite radio station, period, is WGR 550 in Buffalo. Uh, and I don't think I'd be as nearly as interested in the Buffalo Bills um, as I am if I didn't listen to this radio station, which creates interest in the Bills, because that's about all they talk about. And uh, there's nothing you want to know about the Bills that you can't uh, find out listening to uh, WGR and also the Sabres in a somewhat secondary role, because the Bills do rule uh, that city. But these guys, uh, Mike Shope, Shope and the Bulldog is the show in the afternoon. And uh, all day long, WGR um, fills you with Bill's information. And I think they do it very well. They criticize, they analyze, uh, they praise, uh, and they inform. And they do it um, in an entertaining fashion. And uh, we'll probably compliment Mike when he gets on here again. But... Um, I'll leave it at that. I'm uh, I'm a big fan. Well, it, it, Buffalo is a special place uh, for sports fans in Southern Ontario in so many ways, whether it was listening to Rick Jenneret do the Sabres or uh, Van Miller and John Murphy do the Bills. Uh, but there's always something about, uh, it's not necessarily grass is greener between Toronto and Buffalo, but uh, it was uh, Toronto's connection to uh, a major U.S. city particularly when it comes to the National Football League and the Buffalo Bills. That's Mike Shope is going to join Dave and me after the break right here on the McCowan Podcast. Hi, this is Bob McCowan for BetRivers.com. Hey, if you're looking for a sports book or casino app, you should check out the BetRivers Sports and Casino app today. Play all of your favorite casino games for real money anywhere and anytime. Plus, get in the action with each sports game with hundreds of sports betting options. And get ready to feel like a VIP because you'll earn both loyalty level points and bonus store points on every real money wager you make. You must be 19 plus, available in Ontario only. Please play responsibly. If you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you, contact Connex Ontario at 1-866-531-2600 or speak to an advisor free of charge. BetRivers.com. Welcome back to the McCowan Podcast. Dave Hodge in for Bob this week and uh, joined by WGR's Afternoon Drive host in Buffalo, Mike Shope. Mike, we decided to have you on uh, even before the Sabres' first victory this season. So, it's got to be an exciting day for everybody. I think we're a little bit relieved by that outcome, especially with the late goal. Tampa scored with 
Maybe seven seconds to go to tie the game, but the Sabres get the overtime win. High expectations this year, which has not been the case for a long time. So the pressure is on over there. And an 0-2 start um, sort of maybe brought out that anxiety. So, yeah, last night was kind of a relief, I would say. Not to douse any enthusiasm, but um, you give a point to a division opponent with seven seconds to go in the third period. So the win became even more important, but you want two points in Tampa Bay, none. And I would suggest that any team that didn't make the playoffs from the Atlantic Division last season that wants to make them this season should target Tampa Bay. If you don't finish ahead of Tampa Bay, I don't think you make the playoffs. And that's not wishing any uh, any uh, losing streaks and a difficult season for Tampa Bay, but I think that's what is in store. And it looks like they're just going to try to ride out the goaltender situation until Vasilevsky gets back, and it's not not going well so far. So anyway, uh, yeah, the uh, you don't want to be the last team to win in the season, and uh, the Sabres won't be. I guess what, uh, San Jose or Seattle? Both have the zeros Seattle, in the win That's column. right. Yeah, yeah. It's, it actually, and, and when you look at it, it's uh, rather early in a season, uh, Dave, to have everybody at least with one victory. I think that speaks to the parity. Mike, I, I've got to go back to expectations in Buffalo for, for this hockey team before we talk about expectations for the other team. Um, do you think that the playoffs were realistic for this club, are realistic for this club at this point, based on the fact that they might be in the toughest division in hockey? I think at this stage of their development, they really have to be. When you miss by one point, like they did last year, and if it matters to the equation, have missed the playoffs 11 or 12 years in a row as well, it, it's really the only goal. The only goal that makes any sense for the Sabres is to get in. I mean, there are fair and good questions about whether the roster looks like it's good enough. I mean, I completely agree with Dave on the lightning point. That has to be one of the teams, if there's more than one, that you pass. And that team looks like it should be able to get scored on. And the Sabres have the kind of team that's more offense heavy. So last night was not great in certain respects. But um, yes, the, the playoffs are definitely the goal. You hope, if you're a Sabres fan, that Tampa, if not also Boston or Florida, are just less awesome this year, and there's room for you. You have Ottawa to worry about, too, if not also Detroit. So um, the Sabres are still very young, and they're not. And their, their defensive prowess is definitely in question, goaltending, too, like they're not perfect. But um, organizationally in the fan base, I think the playoffs are everything this year. And the fan base can be patient, or, 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 is, or is there a... Uh, a level of angst in the market that you you think that whoa boy oh boy they they need to do they need to prove something this year or last year was the the proving year and this year was the the pudding year if you want yes of course I mean there'd be a range of opinions on that but again I think when you miss by one and you're so close last year last year was really can Tage Thompson be as good uh, can Darlene be as good or better you know you had I think the the focus was more on individual players and development. Owen Power as a rookie, like what have we really got? They made it interesting to say the least last year and they, they had a great look at it. 
Um, so this year, there's nothing left. I mean, you know what you have in, or you think you do, in certain of those players. It can change. They really, they, they brought back almost the entire same roster from last year, too, which I think uh, is a good discussion, especially at forward with Gergensen's and Tyson Jost and Oposo all being resigned. It wasn't really their strength, uh, two-way forward play. So they did that, but really everything, I think, is in the sort of the, the scope of how do we get in this year without compromising the future, and I really don't see that as is too much of a concern. They've signed so many of their good young players long-term. So the, the the core of this team is really sort of locked in for several years. Mike, uh, as John is aware, I'm I'm an avid listener to uh, your show, uh, to your station, WGR 550. And I'm full of praise for the way you cover morning, noon, and night. Two teams, the Buffalo Bills and less so, yeah. except here. <laughs> at the start, the Buffalo Sabres, and that's about all. Now, that sounds like it would be hard to do uh, and keep an audience tuned for very long, but you manage to do that because it's done well and it works. I think that's what the audience wants. Um, have I got that right? Well, I, I'm very flattered by that uh, compliment. I I think it is sort of what we are. It's what I've had conversations with a program director whom you probably know, Alan Davis, uh, proud Canadian, who who says, like, we're a Bills and Sabres station. You know, when I started, which is more than 20 years ago now, I felt like there was some sort of a responsibility to touch on the NBA, Major League Baseball, you know, even other sports. And it's, that certainly, that, that argument certainly can be made, but it's been determined that the Bills and Sabres are what our listeners come to us for, as well as, if I may, sort of like facets of our personal lives and conversations we have that, for instance, yesterday talking about whether Waltzing Matilda is a great song. I mean, we ended up talking about that somehow. Those kinds of things, I think, tend to put smiles on faces and keep us going. But you're, you're right in terms of the sports content, 100%. The Bills and Sabres but are really what we do. Well, and, and, and let's face it, for, for those of us on the other side of Lake Ontario, uh, Buffalo has, has, has been the home to a lot of really important people in the media business that have an, a, a real affection in Canada and vice versa. I mean, when you think of the late Jim Kelly, when you think of Larry Felser for all those years in Buffalo, when you think of Jerry Sullivan, um, these, these people uh, in, for us are iconic. I mean, they have done an amazing job in covering uh, and what Vic's done for the national football league, uh, is, is, is tremendous. Um, it may be a small city compared to some of the others in the NFL or the NHL, but the impact of where you live is amazing. And I assume the responsibility to maintain that is something that you consider as well. Yes, uh, I appreciate that also, John. Jim and Larry and Gary have all been mentors of mine. I mean, Jim Kelly, I, I did a show with him when I started in Buffalo in 2000, I guess, 2001 with Jim and Mike Robitaille, and just learned a lot of hockey from him and a lot about life from those guys. I have my, my sister's, or I'm sorry, my wife's sister's family lives in Toronto, and I'm very close with my brother-in-law there, and he talks about growing up 
about the same age as I am. I'm 51, uh, watching Buffalo television and Buffalo sports, and that's reciprocal. I'm looking out right over my camera across the Niagara to Chippewa, Ontario, and the falls over there. Mm -hmm. I was in Canada yesterday for the Grand Slam of curling. I grew up watching Hockey Night in Canada like so many of my friends here in Western New York. So uh, there really is, I don't know if symbiotic is right, but there's, there's some sort of an alliance I think between Toronto, Southern Ontario, and Western New York that I am I love about sort of where I live. Uh, I'm in Canada a lot, like I said, and um, I think it's a really special feature of being here. And sports wise, broadcasting wise, is a part of that. Do we have uh, time, John, to talk about my Buffalo broadcasting connection? Yes, yes, please. <laughs> I, I want to talk I, that that year. You, you and Rick Jenneret were in the booth for the Sabers. Okay, uh, wasn't wasn't Rick Jenneret? Was a different was it, Rick. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Rick Azar. I apologize, yeah. Rick Azar. My apologies. Do you know this story? Not entirely. Well, uh, this won't be entirely, but uh, because uh, I'll try to speed it up. But um, in 1970, I was working at radio station CFRB in Toronto, and I got a call from an intermediary who said WKBW Television was going to broadcast 15 games of the Buffalo Sabres' first NHL season and didn't have a play-by-play -play announcer. Was I interested? Was I available? I said I was interested, and I said I was available, and I went to meet with the WKBW folks and sat down with the gentleman that they said would be my color commentator, and that was Rick Azar. And Rick turned to me and said, there's one thing you need to know. I know nothing about hockey. My, my place in the booth is simply to relate to the Buffalo audience, and you have to help me along with the game of hockey. So I did uh, those 15 games, the uh, first ever on television, while Ted Darling was doing the radio. And uh, Ted had a big radio audience, except for 15 games that were on TV. And the Sabres said, Wait a minute. We have a we have an announcer of our own who should be doing the TV games. So I was out of work except for the fact that Hockey Night in Canada had come along and had already uh, hired me uh, away from Buffalo, uh, as it were. But for more than fifty years, it's been uh, it's been a secret that um, that I did the first season on television uh, for the Sabers and. Um, a funny little story that a little bit of music here, John. Um, I was at a concert at the town ballroom, which, uh, which Mike knows everybody in Buffalo knows uh, to see Willie Nile, a Buffalo native. Um, mm -hmm. And I was on stage uh, introducing Willie. I was on stage singing with Willie and afterwards um, my presence on stage hadn't meant a thing to the audience. They, I was, they were told I they was. They wanted the original, to know who the old guy was. They were told I was the original <laughs> Sabres announcer and they didn't believe it or didn't care. And I was leaving and a tall, good looking gentleman came up and said, could I have my picture taken with you? And I said, sure. And he said, uh, nobody knows me here either. So we had the picture taken. And of course I had to say, well, who are you? And he said, Seymour Knox the fourth. <laughs> and I said, that's the only thing we have in common. 
Uh, well, that's I, that's really special. Uh, I've been lucky even since I was a, a teenager to know the Knox family a little bit. This is kind of a cool story that I'm that I'm proud of. My father is a goldsmith, and he made a piece for the Sabres' 20th anniversary, like a keychain, maybe it was for people in the organization. And shortly thereafter, Mrs. Knox, Jean walked into his store here on Grand Island, where I live, and told him that she wanted to learn how to make jewelry. So suddenly, my, my father's not really sportsy, he likes tennis. Suddenly, he came home from work one night and said, I just met the wife of the Sabres owner, and she's going to work at the store. And can you imagine as a, <laughs> as a teenager hearing anything more outrageous than that? So in 1990, I would have been 19 years old. And she became a close friend of our family and she and I switched seats. My family was up in the oranges in the corner for game five of the playoff series with Montreal. First round Adams division, you had the third overall team versus the fourth. One was Boston, like two of the top four teams in the league were meeting in the first round. Buffalo could never get out of the first round. And this was part of the problem because they were playing such good competition. So 2-2 in the series, game five, the Sabres would lose this game. But I had the honor of watching the second period with Mr. Knox in her seat um, long before I even thought about getting into radio. So. Well, I was, uh, I'm quite happy to be an afterthought to uh, Ted Darling and then especially to Rick Jenneret as the uh, well-known uh, <laughs> voices of the Sabres uh, game in and game out, Never mind 15, uh, 15 games uh, uh, helping Rick Azar learn, uh, learn hockey. The, the one thing I will I will say, and this will be this will be quick. Uh, the the real pleasure of of season one for the Sabers was watching the first NHL season of Gilbert Perrault, who I had seen play for the Montreal Junior Canadiens, and he was dazzling with the help of Ray Janoul and Mark Tardif, and uh, he had one on one moves that I'd never seen before. Uh, and he got to Buffalo, and he didn't have that kind of help. Uh, uh, on his wings and uh he was uh forced to try those one-on-one -on -one moves against nhl players and often they didn't work and he was frustrated but when they did work that first season of gilbert perot in the nhl was was something to behold and um i would uh i would watch the rest of his career remembering uh that first game and remembering bus trips with this shy Mm -hmm. uh never speaking uh superstar to be sitting uh sitting at the back uh, perhaps near me perhaps not and uh and growing into what he became uh what we'll call him the greatest saber ever right yeah i mean you certainly can the best description in one word i ever heard of Perro was from maybe ironically bobby clark who described him in a documentary series that was produced, maybe you were a part of, who called him elegant. I think that's yeah. a great word for Gilbert. He was an elegant player. Well, the, John, uh, 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 now we got, I'm glad we got that out of the way because, you know, everybody uh, wanted to know. I mean, you actually did play-by-play -play in Buffalo before you were the host of Hockey Night in Canada. That's right, if right you're Dave? Follow, if you're following the timeline, uh, yes. Um, yeah, okay, good. They... Uh, they got rid of me in Buffalo because uh, they they had their own they had their own they, people living and paying taxes and they, I was you know my visa application wasn't was going to be difficult from from that point on I didn't need it 
but I was really happy to uh, to say, and I'm happy to say now, because honestly, nobody knows. You know, the Sabres have had <laughs> 20, 20th and 30th and 40th and 50th anniversaries, and everybody ever connected with the team has been invited back, except, except one. <laughs> except the first TV voice, right? That's it. Uh, yeah. Uh, now, now I know why I've been invited on this podcast. I'm, I'm following literally Scotty Bowman in this podcast series, yeah. and I think it is to sort of maybe cr help to crack open that door. It's historical. I'll give you, you know, give you know, Discovery Channel has Shark Week. I, I cannot confirm or deny that this is Buffalo Week on the show. Okay, so yeah. I'll give you <laughs> one. Speaking of growing pains for the Sabers in their uh, in their first year, Game One, uh, the Montreal Canadiens are the visitors, and the Sabers are being introduced individually, one by one, and it comes to number was it fifteen, whatever. And out comes with uh, the announcement over the over the PA system, forward Dutch Budmarsh. That was Bush <laughs> Deadmarsh. Bush Deadmarsh. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> and and um, he, I don't know if he heard it, but I did. And uh, Bush Deadmarsh was for the moment Dutch Budmarsh. That um, might have been the great the, the great voice of Milt Ellis, who was the PA announcer in I don't, Buffalo you, you got, Buffalo for years and years you got, and years. You got more trivia than I do. Uh, well, no, and I, the only reason the, the only reason I know Milt so well is that um, one of my first gigs at Hockey Night as a behind the scenes person uh, was uh, the All Star Game in Buffalo. Uh, I sat in the penalty box. And uh, I was in charge of all the coordination between on ice and commercials and public address. And so I got to sit beside Milt and I got to know Milt uh, at, at that time. And, uh, and every time I went to Buffalo after that, I would, I would say hello to Milt. I, I, I've got to ask you about uh, someone who has really meant so much to the, and we will get to the football team, trust me, we will get to the football team. Is, uh, is 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 Rick Jenneret. Rick Jenneret was there as a fill-in guy, Hodge and Darling, and then Jenneret was the fill-in guy. Uh, and then uh, it was Darling and Jenneret for all those many years in, in Buffalo. Um, what did Rick Jenneret mean to this franchise? What did, what did he, and more importantly, I guess now we've learned what he meant for the city. Yes, I think that's even the better place to start, perhaps. I mean, Rick was so generous that when he died in August and everybody in hockey wanted to talk about him and sort of share in his career, the memories about Rick, that really is what came to the, the surface the most. And I, I never knew Rick really well, but I knew stories about his generosity with fans. We would sit, Bulldog and I would, uh, for a few years during our run, sit in the atrium do our pre-game show and our afternoon show from the atrium and the doors would open and again for maybe not no more than five years rick would join us say around six o'clock for a seven o'clock game and sit at our table and again fans are already through the doors and just the way he would make people feel good was something that is inspiring i'm not naturally that person like i'm sort of too focused in my own this you know trying to do the focusing on the show i want the show to sound good and he was able to i mean he always sounded good but make people feel good and 
you know, through his dying days, it was people coming forward with stories about how they met, what the time they met Rick Jenneret. And so what's a more incredible legacy than that? I mean, he was able to be in the job for literally more than 50 years mm -hmm. and throughout be able to touch people like that. You know, his his broadcasting prowess and his, his unique style are, are legendary things, but the personal side of Rick is, um, I guess I could say maybe my favorite part of his legacy and talking about him because that's the stuff that means the most. So, you know, there's somewhere there's a, in, in a textbook, there should be a chapter on Generette because for the last decade, the Buffalo Sabres have not been very good. Let's be honest. The Buffalo Sabres have floundered. And really the only thing, in my opinion, that kept the team afloat for the fans uh, and, the, and the growth of hockey in Western New York was Rick Jenneret because he was the conduit. He became the conduit. And whether the Sabres were winning 7-1, which did not happen very often, or losing 7-1 would happen too much, Rick Jenneret made the games fun. Rick Jenneret was an entertainer. He understood his fan base and did a magnificent job in a, in a for the last decade for sure, buffering this fan base and this franchise so that it could stay afloat, in my opinion. And he and he he will never receive uh, as much credit as, as he deserves. And he has received a ton of credit, particularly by the hockey club and particularly by the fans in Western New York. Can I make a comparison? Um, for many years, the Chicago Cubs weren't any good. And uh, this is meant as a compliment, and I hope it's received that way. But I always regarded Rick Jenneret as hockey's version of Harry Carey. React, if you will. Uh, but uh, it was, you know, you, you listened. Uh, you had not fun. Because you thought the Cubs might win, but you wanted to hear Harry Carey, and especially uh, the seventh inning stretch. And you, you listened and watched the Sabres on many nights, as John said, not because you thought they would win but because you wanted to hear the play-by-play -play guy. Yeah. Well, that's that's what it's about, right? I mean, there are all kinds of different styles in broadcasting, and I, I think it's a good thing that there is. But the, the bottom line is to get people to the show and have them take interest in it and maybe even fall in love with it. And so that that is a very apt comparison, I think, because a broadcaster, as you guys know, uh, can mean a lot toward that. There are some who say, who listens to the game for the announcers? I listen to games for the announcers. You have choices every night in this world. Every game is on TV. And I am somebody, I mean, I am in broadcasting, but I am somebody who will choose a game based on the announcers. In fact, I would be happy to tell you guys that I'm somebody who watches old games. And I do that sometimes, you know, just because my family's out doing something else, or sometimes maybe to help fall asleep. I'll turn, I'll go to YouTube. I just watched three days ago, the Laney McDonald game. Maybe there's more than one if you're a Flames fan, but to me, there's one Laney McDonald game on Long Island. Dave Hodge is a part of that broadcast, talking to Bruce Boudreau in the intermission with a big mop of black hair that night. I love it. And it's Dan Kelly and Brian McFarlane, Hockey Night in Canada, doing that game. I mean, I, I didn't watch that game happen. I was too young, but I love that stuff. So, again, whether it's Rick or any announcer that can just bring you you know, you, you feel something, you feel attached to it. It's their, their choice of words or their 
build it, it's like a, a musical sort of thing where you know the sound anything anything like that is a real gift and certainly rick had that in spades i watched uh, a, a football game on the weekend and the announcers were better than the game um they were mike tarico and chris collinsworth and the teams on the field were the bills and the giants and you want to talk about that john now i tell you what let's uh let, let's take a break uh, and uh, there may be angst for the Sabres at all times, but that means there's probably only 10 times more angst about the Buffalo Bills uh, when it comes to the National Football League and where they should be in the standings and where they are in the standings. We're with Mike Shope, WGR 55 in Buffalo. This is the McCowan Podcast. Welcome back to the McCowan Podcast. Dave Hodge uh, in for Bob this week. Mike Shope from WGR 55 in, in Buffalo. Uh, I, I, and I, we buried the lead because the Buffalo Bills are now 27 minutes into the conversation today. Uh, I, could I throw this out? Because we can talk about Sunday's game at one thing, but I would, I was thinking about this driving in this morning. Is there any chance the Buffalo Bills of 2023 are the Toronto Blue Jays of 2023? and how we we think that they're really good and they're going to frustrate the heck out of us for the rest of the season mike i suppose i mean the bills are one of these teams at least in a sort of a football context that we've seen before um andy reed with the eagles or peyton manning with the colts it's been four three to four really great seasons coming into this season for the Bills, and they don't have even a conference championship yet, and that happens. I mean, it's hard to win. You've got other great teams and great quarterbacks, so there are causes, but for me anyway, it hasn't revealed a flaw about the Bills. I don't know whether this applies to the Blue Jays. You could, you could tell me, but in, in terms of the Bills, like the roster is good, quarterback's good, coaching staff is good, my opinions. Let's get to the playoffs, and then you've just got to I mean, it's cliche-ish, but you've just got to execute there. You've got to get the, the so-called bounces. And that determines your legacy as a team and an organization. And that's what's in front of the Bills now. I don't know if Blue Jay fans necessarily were like, let's just wait to the playoffs and see what happens, because they were never some, somewhat of a lock to make it. The Bills aren't a lock, but it would be a pretty big story if they didn't. Uh, certainly going into the season, that was true. They just have to have it go right. And, uh, and injuries are such a variable right. that you can't control in that too. And that's been somewhat of a challenge for them already. So I think the, the regular season is where we are and you have to get to the playoffs, but entirely this, this team's um, whatever the, the, the judgment on this team waits until the playoffs happen. I I I, uh, I have a tough time discussing Sunday's game because I would be saying the same things had they had they lost. It was one of those games that you know the the result almost didn't matter in terms of the analysis of what happened, and the analysis of what happened wound up uh, you know dissecting and criticizing what the what the Giants did with two plays at the end of the half and the end of the game. So if I'm a Bills fan, I I move on as if it it never happened and think it doesn't change the fact that their fortunes still depend on road games at Cincinnati, 
Philadelphia, Kansas City, and Miami, and that's tough. And a home game against Dallas, and uh, okay, uh, maybe the Jets. Uh, and how about this week, uh, Mike? The last thing you might want is another two TD favorite game, but it's New England. I got to think that's a good thing. You know, it, it probably is. There's a the specter of the Patriots over the years and Bill Belichick's ability to confuse an offense is, uh, I mean, everybody knows about it. He hasn't really confused Josh Allen too often, though. It's been a few years of Bill's Patriots games, and Allen has had some of his best days, a historically good day in the playoffs when it was literally zero degrees out uh, against New England. So you want to be able to trust the Bills offense. There were worrisome signs on Sunday night, though, and really the question, I think that's the leading question about their offense is, what about what comes after Stefan Diggs? I mean, Diggs mm -hmm. is crushing again this season, but they really have not found whether it's on the ground or another receiver or Dalton Kincaid, like they've really not found a reliable plan B, if you will, on offense. The New England offense has been so bad. They're averaging 12 points a game. And the Bills are averaging almost 29. But on the road against the Patriots, it's never comfortable. I guess I'll just speak for myself on that it's just it's never comfortable you, you have to you have to be enjoying bill belichick's failure right now though right i i'd admit to, to some of that um he's been such a sort of evil empire figure for the bills franchise for most many nfl franchises he's sitting there with 299 wins yeah i, I would have to admit that i would say that on the air like i'm enjoying new england's uh struggles and i'm very curious to see what they do next i mean is this a patriot season where they just lose every week like they're one and five and they've got tough games ahead too and starting with this one they're in miami next week how bad does it get and what happens if it doesn't change i mean it's it's belichick like you have this in sports sometimes where a coach is of course a hall of famer and one of the best ever but then there's it happened to don shula i think maybe where you get to a point mm -hmm. And the questions are asked about whether it's time for a change. And that's a very complicated situation that they might be uh, on the verge of there. Let me uh, let me ask you a question that uh, I, I, I'm guessing you can't answer um, because it uh, it would be confidential uh, information within the Bills organization. But how banged up do you think Josh Allen might be? Well, uh, you're right. I don't know that answer, but he's not 100 percent. I mean, he came out of that game, went right to the x-ray room. Today, Wednesday morning, as we speak, uh, Wednesday afternoon is when we get the update on injuries for a team playing on Sunday. So there'll be, you know, this afternoon, there'll be some update on Allen. He's not going to miss time, though, right? Like, he no. got his injury last year in that Jet game should have kept him out for a couple of games. And I, I think that was kind of thought at the time. Like, from what we knew about that injury, don't play, you know, let's get you right. And then he plays, and the season ends abruptly against Cincinnati, and one of the narratives all offseason was, well, he had an injury, you know? So it's possible that there's something that they'll have learned from that. And, you know, you mentioned, you know, pro rightly, they're tough games on the schedule, but they also have... New England, nine-point favorite. Tampa is here next week. Denver is here. Like, they have games on their schedule kind of in this stretch where 
they might think if he needs time that they'll, they'd want to give it to him. Um, not usually what happens. And Allen might have forced his way into games last year after his elbow thing. So we'll find out today if there's anything to be worried about. Well, what's missing uh, are rushing yards and design plays where, you know, there are three blockers and here comes uh, Josh Allen to run for 21 yards. Um, that is just not happening. And that's not by accident. Right. And right. he's just he's just not supposed to be running unless he absolutely has to. And uh, and so that part of the offense is gone. And that part of the offense was always a big part of the offense. Absolutely right. That was their best play. <laughs> as soon as <laughs> Allen sort of took hold as their starting quarterback, I was always saying that their best play is when he runs. And you are absolutely correct. They, it is not an accident that this year they are taking that away from him when he is getting out on a scramble and he's, he's sliding. Like they have maybe really muted him in this way. And I don't know that he loves that necessarily, but you can understand the thinking, you know, to protect him a little bit. I, it's always been kind of a problem for me. I mean, you take that giant game. How well protected did he seem just because he didn't run four times or five times in that game? He got hit in that game anyway so there's only so much you can control there um they run running the ball is uneven Kincaid has not happened yet meaningfully everything else about their offense is kind of the same and they took out a dimension this one you mentioned that was really useful <laughs> for them so I don't know where that leaves them or whether that will change soon I think it changes once they get into December and January they're not going to tell they're not going to leave that out of their offense, I would assume, I would hope. But for now, you're right, it has not been a part of what they are. But with all the injuries, even on the defensive side, is there more concern when the Bills have the ball or the other team has the ball? <laughs> That's an interesting question. That might vary week to week. When I'm playing the Giants and the Patriots, I'm not too I, I think I can say I'm not too concerned when I'm on defense, as that maybe that giant game may have proved. They have had challenges on defense last year too with Micah Hyde going out and Poyer and different injuries and they were still top three I mean Sean McDermott has really excelled uh with that defense and so far so good this year too like they have really just not Jacksonville maybe is the closest exception who's really moved the ball consist Miami Miami did move the ball they're doing that on everybody that, that's actually still a good day compared to other Miami games this year I think Offense is going to decide whether you win a Super Bowl, just like we've had in the last decade or more in this league. Defense is fine, but the great quarterbacks have been able to overcome. Even though this year scoring is down, I predict that still happens this year. And those other questions about the Bills on offense have to be answered uh, for them to win big, I think. I uh, Before we get back to, if we have time, actual football talk, I got to get this in. Because maybe I should. Is it a music story? Is, is it a music maybe, story? Or? No, no. Okay, just checking. Just it, checking. This is this is something that I've wanted to know for years. Um, and Mike, maybe you know, maybe you don't. Who coined the term Bills Mafia? Del Reed, a fan go. by the name of Del Reed, who his twenty six shirts has done amazing things for charity. Uh, I believe he is the origin of that. I think also maybe that the Bills have bought the name good so i think i think dell who's quite a figure here in western new york for all his work 
Um, any kind of t-shirt you see, different designs, Bills themed or Sabres themed, he, he might have had a hand in it. So I think that's where it started. I don't know him personally, but I feel like that's the answer. I hope it is. Hey, uh, the, 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 back to Josh Allen. The, the one thing that impresses me is that uh, like, off the field, uh, the town has really embraced him. And he's embraced Buffalo. There really is a, 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 a great relationship between the quarterback and the city, isn't there? And wh where, did, where did that come from? Is that something that the fans generated or is that something that Josh generated? I mean, both. He ended up being the perfect thing. He had to be good. Like, there's lots of good fits. But if you can't play, then it sort of just comes and goes. But as a guy who was doubted and criticized, just extensively at the draft process. And then after he was picked through his rookie year, Buffalo loves those guys. You know, if, if you're somebody who's been put down and you can overcome it, and, and maybe no one ever in Buffalo has done so to the extent that Allen has already, like he's a superstar, which Buffalo has not had too many athletes that, you know, OJ, I guess, that have just transcended. Allen has kind of done that, and he's done that as an underdog. I mean, lugging cantaloupes on a farm in California, playing at Wyoming. You know, who watches Wyoming? Who's who's a the un um, recruited like the the level of recruit that he was from high school to college. Like he's always kind of even with his size and talent, he's always sort of had to run uphill. And so Buffalo drafts him, and most. Draft pundits mocked the selection. I did. I thought there was almost no chance a player like Allen would even be like a regular starter, a good player in the NFL. And he's obviously done way better than that. So Buffalo loves that. You know, the 07 Sabres with Briere and, and Drury, a, a team like sort of not supposed to be big winners, but, you know, smaller guys and underdogs. That's our favorite thing. Getting Dominic Hasek, who was sort of just thrown away by Chicago and having Hasek rise to the top, heart trophies. That, that's really Buffalo's vibe. So, you know, any great player, a Diggs, for example, it's a rabid sports town, as you know, we're going to love it. But uh, especially when you come with that extra piece, like if you were doubted and, and criticized, we love it even more. Can you uh, define pass interference? <laughs> It's a play that happens on every play where defensive backs are making contact with offensive players. But when, it, when it's especially blatant or when we haven't called something in a while or when the game needs to be closer, we're going to call it then. So it's, it's, a, it's a foul that happens constantly that is called, you know, on a whim, depending sometimes perhaps on circumstances. How'd I do? Well, uh, I think back judges might as well carry coins and, and flip them. You, you know, uh, and they well, they weren't going right to call pass interference and... twice in a row, Dave. They weren't. No, no, that was I understand that. That's no, no, that's no, no. the issue. This is a general discussion. I'm not talking about the specifics of the end of that game. <laughs> um, and I mean, it leads to the CFL, John. You know, you don't mind that oh. because the CFL, no. Mike, as you may or may not know, has a rule that allows coaches to challenge. Uh, pass interference, uh, yes or no, and the NFL tried it for a year, as you as you do know, um, and the NFL struggled with it, and found out it was tough uh, to make a decision on video as it was in real time, and well, so they had to call everything or call nothing, and 
on a challenge and the answer was call nothing get rid of the challenge rule so that's 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 gone and i think everybody's happy in the nfl that it's gone except for the times when they wish that pass interference could be challenged well the, the problem with challenging pass interference or even holding which thankfully has never happened is that the answer is always yes yeah, like if, you, right. if you if you slow down a pass play and ask yourself whether the defensive back made contact with the receiver i mean contact is contact like mm. you know anything the answer is always yes but they don't want to call it on every play no no they're not going to call it on two plays in a row and every coach in the nfl this week is reminding his players that if pass interference was called on the previous play have at it so right. it's those sort of edge, edges where you know games can be won and if, if you slow down any sort of penalty and look to see if there was contact the answer is always yes so you can't you can't have replay for those things in my opinion i don't know oh. how it works in the cfl maybe the cfl likes it so well the the, the play well, that I, I don't like to, it so i don't like it so anyway taron johnson is a hero or a or a smart player for realizing that he could right grab a jersey and uh, there wouldn't be a call and uh and, and you know what else game. that means dave you know what else that means like i'm the giants saquon barkley to the pile oh, i know right like yeah. I, they're gonna hold me and they're gonna get away with it so i'm doing the other thing because don't i be, can't don't be throwing the ball right. uh but uh anyway it was uh it it made for uh it made for some interest in a game that didn't have much um until then and uh, all the bills fans went went home I, i'm i'm struck by the fact that we're six weeks into the into the season and week four saw the bills demolish miami by 28 points and josh allen had a near perfect game and then there was london and now it's you know what what to make of of it all but if they can do again to miami what they did uh in buffalo at the end of the season which could be you know a game that means a whole lot or everything um i mean that was that was impressive as hell mike offensively even especially like allen has just been dominant against the dolphins and that was a really interesting game like tennis match right touchdown 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 yeah. the dolphins moved the ball they couldn't stop the bills and then it gets, you know, you, the pressure you feel, the Dolphins are often playing with the lead and it's easy and defenses are just sort of falling apart. But that didn't happen that day. And Mostert fumbled twice. There might've been a pick, like, and those things make the difference. And then by the fourth quarter, the game is kind of over at that point. So, I, I mean, I think Miami is an incredible story and they got their 400 yards or whatever in that game uh, against the bills they just couldn't finish drives couple in the second half where they ended up because of the score going on fourth and 10 and, and failing to score field goals did them no good um man like you said we talked about this on the show yesterday like if that game matters <laughs> that's gonna be big you know and it's still not the playoffs but that's the dolphins are a great story every well, every other offense in the league is struggling but miami is just setting records well, that, yeah. but that day tyreek hill who might be the player of the year so far uh for what he's doing every other week only caught three passes uh didn't get into the end zone and if you can do that to him um that's a step one of trying to beat miami so uh i no. just you know that, it, 
everybody uh everybody who remembers that game thinks yeah john the bills are our super bowl uh contenders and it's going to be disappointing if they fall short of that yeah I, that, well that's a, that's that's kind of where i was yep. going with the blue jay comparison um uh, uh, dave mentioned jacksonville you like the trips to london you want to get rid of them what do you want I feel like they're not going away. No, they're so not. They're, they're not going away. I mean, the league has continued to try to expand that. We've got Germany coming up in a couple of weeks, not for the Bills, but Miami and Kansas City play in, in Frankfurt in a couple of weeks. That's quite a game for a Europe series. They're not going away. The league's going to try to continue to figure out what to do logistically and for fairness. Fairness is not the number one thing when it comes to the schedule making, and it never has been. Every year, there are certain teams that play more games against short rest or fewer games. You know, those kinds of things are part of the deal in the NFL and in hockey, right? I mean, how many back-to-backs, these kinds of things are just a kind of a random event in the NFL. This thing with Jacksonville and Buffalo did seem like that that's common sense kind of tells you if one team is acclimated for an extra week than the other, they, they should be sharper. And they were, and Roger Goodell told sky sports before that game, not his exact wording, but that the bills were kind of an experiment in what it would look like. He brought up having a team or even more than one team play in London, like permanently. And so what would the competition factor be if teams come across the ocean to play the London team. How much of a disadvantage are they at? This game was somewhat of a test for that, and the Bills, you know, suffered for it. So there's going to be more London games. They've only played two. Jacksonville goes over there every year. I'm not sure that's a net gain for that franchise on the field. I mean, in terms of dollars and cents, it probably is. Uh, but that's that's the way that goes. Well, there's a far one thing, reaching one thing I like about it is I, I like the early start. Dave, Dave and I lived on the West Coast for a long time, and uh, I like 9.30 games. Well, that would <laughs> be 6.30 out there, John. You ready for that? <laughs> I, but I'm not, I'm not there anymore, so it doesn't no, matter. No. The far-reaching <laughs> idea that um, uh, regarding Europe uh, is that there could be a Super Bowl played there. I mean, is that... How would how would the NFL fans react to that? Um, well, not too many people ever get to go to one, there so maybe maybe not so badly. Maybe it's worse when it's like the Bills lose a home game to London, like what just happened right. last week. I feel like that'll happen in our lifetimes. There'll be a Super Bowl in in Europe, you know, um, probably. And as long as both teams don't fly out there on Friday. For a, for a Sunday Super Bowl, you know, maybe maybe it could work. Oh, no, uh, before no, we, we let you, before uh, we let you go, um, uh, you drive by uh, the stadium and look across the street and say, "Oh my goodness gracious, this is going to be magnificent at the new stadium." Um, you know, you you certainly can. It's it's fun to think about. It's it's complicated for me because. Even though I understand, like, I, I can see the whole board when it comes to this, but I can't really think of worse ways to spend money that we really don't have in the first place. I mean, they're going to use that stadium how many times a year? 12? Yeah. Eight Bills games and two or three concerts. And I, I think it's kind of sad. I mean, you know that the Bills or any NFL team can't continue without 
updates and renovations and eventually new builds. That's how it is. But, you know, owners could afford it and it's still, they still don't end up paying for it or most for all of it, at least. And so the stadium is a really hard topic for me, but um, it should be beautiful. Uh, it might be a thing that maybe most of Buffalo thought would never happen because of the size, the relative size of the market, that there would mm -hmm. be a stadium perhaps on the level with the very best in the league. Uh, but for me personally, it's a tough subject. Well, right. if, if, when you have the governor that's from Western New York, that probably helped you a lot, but you, is, is your, is your opinion uh, uh, in the majority or is there just Bill's fans are just exuberant that there's a new stadium coming? I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know. I don't like talking about it on the show because it's just sort of hard for me, but, but I think, you know, sports fans kind of try to block certain things out, whether it's ownership stuff or, you know, player behaviors at times and things, there's stuff that you, you want to love it. And things that kind of get in the way, you have to decide what to do about them. And I think most, maybe most sports fans tend to try to ignore the things that are sort of like how the sausage gets made in terms of sports so that you can keep the thing you want, which is to love going the games and love following the team. So a lot of, a lot of things in life are like that. And maybe this is one, it's not going to be for everybody, you know, progress, <laughs> right? New stadium is progress. I mean, there are lots, lots of people who tell you or they want to tell you that it's good for the economy. No study that's ever been done independently says that. It's the team studies and the politicians' reports that tell you that it's good for the economy. That money gets spent other ways locally for the most part. So uh, is it the majority opinion? I don't know. I think people sort of want to embrace it and look forward to it, and that's fine. And maybe not think about um, what maybe uh, we should be doing <laughs> as a society instead with billions of dollars. I just want to know how many names it'll have in the first 10 years. <laughs> what are we, what are we a high oh, mark oh. now, right? Over or, under one and a half over. <laughs> you take the over on that. I've uh, I, it, it's, you know, it's tough to take, take me to the uh, bill stadium. Um, how many, uh, you well, know, on the air, it's for me, it's the, I get away with it, I guess. It's the stadium and the arena. The, okay. the Sabres arena is now Key Bank Center, and it's been two or three different things. But mm -hmm. who in common conversation names the stadium, especially when it's changing all the time? Acrisure, I think, is the name of the Steeler Stadium now. Like, is there any Steeler fan who's telling his buddy that he's going to Acrisure? No, he's going to the game. He's going to the stadium, whatever. So um, that gets me through the day. <laughs> I want you to well, uh, I want you to tell uh, Bulldog that you need to play Wilco uh, today <laughs> when you when you uh, tell him that uh, you were here. He doesn't have to play I, the whole song or the whole you know just a, a few uh, thirty seconds of Wilco just for me, and I'm going to listen to make sure you do. He'll he'll be honored. It won't be today, but he'll be honored oh. uh, to know that you had okay. the request. <laughs> yes. Well, I tell you what. I, in in uh, in having Mike invited to the show today, which was a, a great treat, uh, I'm not sure who was more excited, Mike Shope or Dave Hodge. So it was a ton of fun, Mike. Hold on. I, I'm allowed yep. to say something first here. I, I, I echo Dave's... <laughs> 
I echo Dave's thoughts about uh, love listening to you in the afternoons. And I leave the last word of the day to Mr. Hodge. I just want to say that those of us in the broadcasting business love to talk about what's done well and what isn't and what should be and what shouldn't be. I think the model for sports radio is WGR 550. And I'll leave it at that. That's a that's a wonderful compliment. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me today. It's been really an honor to do it. Anytime. Lots of and fun. And tell Alan if he wants to use that as a promo, it's not going to cost him that much. So. <laughs> I'm not sure if it costs him anything, he would do it. But maybe uh, we can negotiate that. There you go. Mike Shope, WGR in Buffalo. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Dave and I'll be back after this on the McCowan podcast. Well, David, we did a good job of doing what Mike Shope does every day, and that's talk about the Bills and the Sabres for a whole segment. So I think we can talk about something else. Um, I guess the Philadelphia Phillies look pretty damn good. Red October. Uh, it's a lineup that, uh, you know, maybe Texas is going to have to try to figure out with uh, Jordan Montgomery and uh, – and uh, Nathan Ivaldi, and uh, let's see what happens with with Max Scherzer. But um, boy, oh boy, these guys hit, and it's you you can't circle anybody and say we you know we got to pitch around him. Bryson Stott hit the grand slam homer in the in the wild card series, and was the hero for a little while until Nick Castellanos dominated the division series. Now we're in the championship series, and it's Kyle. Uh, uh, Schwarber tying Reggie Jackson's record for postseason homers by a left-handed hitter. And then, oh, by the way, Trey Turner's hitting 500. And oh, by the way, I haven't mentioned Bryce Harper yet. Bryce Harper, yeah. Or JT Real Muto. Uh, you know, I don't know how you game plan. Uh, and Arizona goes home, great, uh, with a rookie on the mound, Brandon Fott. Uh, the, the Phillies have, uh, have, have really been something. And imagine what the scores would be if there were runners on board when these home runs left the park, I mean, solo homers galore. Yeah. The, uh, the, the fascination for me is the evolution, uh, popularity, uh, and maturity of Bryce Harper. Um, yeah. you know, after leaving Washington, signing a Philly on a contract for 13 years, we never thought who would sign a player to 13 years. He will never be an impact player again. Remember, there was the argument: who was a better player, Bryce Harper or Mike Trout? Who was going to be a better winner, Bryce Harper or Mike Trout? Well, right now, Bryce Harper looks pretty damn good. Well, Bryce Harper had one of the famous Sports Illustrated covers, and you know that was supposed to mean that uh, you could never live up to the uh, to the hype or the expectations. And you know he's been hurt. You could, uh, you know, you could wonder about his 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 durability. Where was he going to play because he was hurt? Well, apparently he can play first base. Um, <laughs> and uh, I just say you stick him in the middle of that lineup, and um, you know he's he uh, he's not he's not the first guy. You, you know, he's the guy that interests you the most. But you know, when, unless, unless he dominates the World Series, he's going to be one of those other guys that right. Ends up uh, winning the uh, the MVP award because he has contributed, but he has not yet made the headlines that uh, you know Stott, Castiano, Schwarber, Turner, uh, I think are uh, are in front of him. And oh, by the way, Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola have been uh, as dominant as you'd want, 
from from starting. And the bullpen's done its job. And they, let's face it, they, they've done what they've had to do, right? Yeah, well, uh, in ten nothing, they don't have to do a whole lot. But um, the uh, I'll tie the NFL to the discussion of uh, of the Phillies here because the big game of week seven in the NFL is Sunday night in Philadelphia. The visiting team is Miami Dolphins. And I haven't checked the schedule to see where the Phillies might be um, on, on Sunday, but they'll they'll have to, they'll have to do something to the schedule to avoid uh, the Eagles and the uh, the Eagles and, uh, and, and the Phillies playing across the street from each other. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, we're old enough to remember how Philadelphia, for the longest time, was a running joke about bad sports teams. And, and you know, there was a team where all four major sports teams were not very good. The Flyers weren't any good. The Sixers weren't any good. The Eagles were a joke, and the Phillies were laughable. Well, maybe Philly's the best sports town in America right now, when you think about it, because the Sixers are a good team. They're a playoff team. Obviously, the Eagles and Phillies are. Uh, are dominant and uh, hey, and the Flyers won last night against the. Well, the fan, I mean, the fans have long been famous for you know booing more than anybody else, and very often booing their own team. Uh, right. You circled Harper as an interesting story, which he certainly is this season. But um, for me, Trey Turner's struggles in his first year as a Philly after a big free agent signing. I mean, it was a miserable time for him. And one night, the fans decided, we got to pick this guy up because he's not given us anything. And he came to the plate and he got a standing ovation for being Trey Turner uh, mm-hmm. and doing nothing as a Philly until then. And since then, he has been the guy that they signed and the guy that's now hitting 500 in the playoffs, making a lot of errors, mind you but um, they haven't needed a lot of defense. And here's the Philadelphia fans who have, who have tra- uh, turned Trey Turner's season around to his benefit and to theirs. So if we look at Philly fans differently now forever. I'll tell you what, you know, we, we, we were talking with Mike about how we, we actually tune into games because of announcers. The Philadelphia sports fan is one of the reasons I like watching games there. Now they have so much fun. They are so passionate. They are so loud. It becomes a true event when the Phillies are playing, when the Eagles are playing at this point. And you wonder how long it can carry on for before they start booing their teams when they're not this prolific. You know, thanks for this, Dave. What would be an event you, you would want to see in your lifetime? What's that? A Super Bowl celebration in Buffalo. I don't think there's anything that would match it. Yeah, you know, you're probably right. You're you're probably right. But you do, a, I think that there. I mean, you, you know, you when you look and that you see the frustrations of of NFL fans in certain cities. I think that that we get a little tainted because we are so close to Buffalo and we know they've lost four Super Bowls and the history of the team. Um, but uh, you're 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 not far off. I I assume that they would shut the city down for the parade. So. Well, what in in whatever form the celebration took, a Super Bowl title would mean more to the city of Buffalo, I think, 
than a sports championship would mean to any other North American city. Yeah, you may be right. All right, David, thanks for this. Another Thank show you. tomorrow. We might talk a little hockey tomorrow, so stand by. Joe Micheletti of the New York Rangers broadcast crew, who uh, we know pretty well. We do. Will join us on the podcast. For Dave Hodge, John Shannon, thanks for listening. Thank you.